Section 2. General Stuff The Goals of What We Do Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. That's a quote from Robert Louis Stevenson. Individual improvisers have different reasons for doing what they do. To be funny, to express themselves, to take steps in a showbiz career, to come out of their shell, to meet people, or any number of other reasons. And it's not just that improv attracts a breadth of personalities. Also, nobody stays static. People change, develop, and grow over time. What caused a person to sign up to their first improv class may not be, and in fact probably isn't, what keeps them coming back years later. As for why a group of people do it, or what a specific group of players value artistically, it could be a lot of different things. Strong game of the scene, character, or relationship journeys, detailed genre shows all have their place. Therefore, talking about an improv goal for someone isn't, well, it isn't that helpful. Because we're all in it for our own reasons, and going in our own direction. And that's fine. Improv is a broad church. There's room for everybody. So when I say goal, it could actually be any number of things for you personally, or you might just like doing it, and that's wonderful too. And your group, well, they may have a completely different goal from the people performing before or after or even beside you. So let's just leave those bigger aspirations aside then and just think about your goals on stage when you're improvising. And here they are. Number one, have fun. Number two, challenge yourself. Both are important but neither will sustain your work long-term on its own. I mean, if it's not fun, why bother? And, I mean, of course, you might get some harsh feedback in a workshop or have a bad show or even a run of bad shows or have an interpersonal issue with a team member or whatever. If so, suck it up. Figure it out. I mean, I doubt Mozart loved every moment of composing every note of his symphonies, and I really don't think that at the beginning of his career... Uh, swimmer Michael Phelps felt like getting up every morning to go swimming. But he did. At least often enough to own what seems like 200 pounds of Olympic gold medals. So if something gets you down, pick yourself up and get back into it. But if those rough patches or bad shows happen more often, or if you find that you're not enjoying it, or there's something else that stokes your inner fire even more, don't be afraid to move on. Make some room in your life for something you enjoy doing, because it's important to have fun. However, if you're reading this book, I imagine you're enjoying your improv, at least on some level, so that's good. But don't forget to challenge yourself. If you're not challenging yourself, then you're not growing as a performer, a comedian, or a person. Lots of people enjoy doing stuff that doesn't challenge them, say, watching Star Wars again, or isn't good for them, like, say, eating an entire tub of Ben & Jerry's Caramel Sutra ice cream, for example. But eventually, it gets boring. A little bit of challenge always helps us enjoy the moment and feel better afterwards. If you're getting too comfortable doing your regular shows with your regular crew, find some ways to challenge yourself. And guess what? There's also a third goal. Kick ass. Kicking ass is the act of gliding through scenes with deft flashes of wit and inspired character choices, savoring the moments on the sideline as your teammates play their best, Jumping in with delightful details and supportive moves just before they're needed. Finding joy in everything on stage and having the audience eating out of your hand. And if you've got a mix of these three things in your improv practice, you're doing great. 
But if you're finding it hard to progress or to consistently thrill and delight your audiences, or you've hit a rough patch, fret not. Because these goals are exactly that. Goals. The point of soccer is to score more goals than your opponent. But that doesn't mean every player kicks the ball towards the opposing team's net every time they get possession. They work towards that aim every chance they get by utilizing all the tools, knowledge, and fellow players that they have and assessing the situation as it changes. You can do likewise with your improv. Your habits, thoughts, and actions should be leading you toward these goals, and you should sometimes succeed and sometimes fail. If you're bummed after a show or don't feel like you're advancing or otherwise things aren't clicking, don't worry. Instead, just focus on the moments and let your goals guide you. But don't let those goals take you out of the moment. You need to be in the moment. This is improv after all. Live in the now. Control of consciousness determines the quality of life. Oh, I just realized I don't think I can pronounce this guy's name. Mihaly Chesnikist-Mihaly, uh, or something like that. I apologize if he's listening to this audiobook, and I uh, welcome, but I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Improvisers know it's all about the moment. Much of the appeal of learning and practicing improvisation is the way it forces us to be completely present in the now. That presence where we're not distracted by our inner monologue or checking social media on our phones, is powerful. And it's something to revel in, from the moment we start warming up in a class or workshop to when we step on stage for a show. Being present is an addictive feeling. However, after hundreds of hours of watching improv shows and teaching workshops, I began to notice something strange. Every few scenes, especially with beginners or young improvisers, a pair of players will start talking about the future, looking ahead as if they're trying to get to the next part of the scene. It's as if the scene they're currently in is a preamble to something really good, as if whatever happens after it will be excellent and funny, they swear, just please bear with them for the slow moments they're in now. And then the scene starts to falter. Their characters flatten, the dialogue gets stale, and desperate flop sweat starts to form. Like Wiley Coyote looking down after he's run off a cliff, as soon as a player loses confidence in what's happening in the present, they plummet. The players start looking around for something to spice the scene up. They start going faster or miss things, all to move past this mediocre present and get to the story. Not realizing that the story itself is exactly where we are, always, in the now. The parallel that suggests itself to me now is someone intently searching through a house, turning the lights on, knocking people out of the way, declining the ice-cold bottles of beer offered to them, looking under the bowls of potato chips on the coffee table, ignoring the attempts of their friends to get their attention. Finally, they interrupt the DJ, who begrudgingly turns the music down. Then they ask her the question they've been trying to find the answer to. Excuse me, I'm looking for a party. Have you seen one anywhere? And before the DJ answers, they rush off to another room, asking everyone to leave so that they can find the party. Your scene, whatever it is, is the party of the fucking year. Don't miss it waiting for something that's about to happen, thinking about something that's already happened, or talking about people who aren't here. A scene is a scene is a scene. 
If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. That's a quote from Henry Ford. When I started improvising, it seemed the most common progression of an improviser was start with short-form games in high school drama or an intro to improv class. If you like it and get good at the games, you'll look for new challenges. Sooner or later, you discover the greater freedom of long forms like Herald, Montage, or Improvised Plays, or whatever your particular fancy is, and then you turn your back on short form. It seems this trajectory is changing. And now, thanks to UCB and I.O., long form is no longer something you get into after you learn short form. Many people's first and only experience with improv is in long form. It even seems that short form is done less frequently than it used to be. Meanwhile, long form is thought of as more pure or rewarding. It's a higher expression of the art. I also know some short form players who disparage long form as slow and self-indulgent, so it goes both ways. But neither side is wrong. But in the big picture, it's important to remember this. Who fucking cares? Long form is fun and challenging, and so is short form. People who are outside the scene don't care about your silly rivalry, and you don't need to invest energy in it either. Now, I'm not suggesting you no longer have an opinion or a preference, but I am saying that creating an artificial barrier between improvisers and improv forms isn't particularly helpful for you or for the craft. If someone doesn't know billiards, they probably don't care about your explanation as to why nine ball is way better than dumb old snooker or that you think billiards is a more skillful game than bar rules eight ball. They just see you pushing colored balls around a felt-covered table with your stick. And if you want to keep getting better at improv, and if you're holding this book or listening to my voice, my guess is that you do, you should try some new things. If you've never done a set of short-form games, push yourself to try some, even just in rehearsal. And if you've never done long-form because you just play short, game-centric sets, shake it up. Short-form boot camp. When I moved to Amsterdam in 2003 as an exchange student, renowned comedy institution Boom Chicago was holding auditions. I signed up and went. And even though I felt like I tanked my audition, apparently I didn't. In fact, I ended up landing a job as an actor on their corporate shows and narrowly avoiding my other possible fate, which was working as a telemarketer. Now, I'm not saying telemarketing is a bad job, although it kind of seems like it might be, but when compared to getting paid to perform improv, it sure seems bad. Until I was hired there, I had spent most of my five or so years as an improviser, basically all of them, disparaging short form. I was a long form improviser, thank you very much. I probably even rolled my eyes when a well-meaning uncle or friend of a friend would use whose line is it anyway as a reference point in an attempt to understand what I did. I would then sanctimoniously explain to the unfortunate person why long-form improv was far superior to that stuff. Snooker isn't real pool. It's basically the same, the same thing. But as I started training in the Boom Chicago style, I learned that my laid-back approach to scenes was not going to work for their short-form corporate shows for non-native English speakers. I needed to get into a scene establish specifics, wring as many laughs out of a scenario as possible, and deliver a killer finishing joke that brought out the blackout, and I needed to be fast, loud, presentational, and punchy. Learning to perform that joke-powered short-form style 
permanently affected my play for the better. It made me funnier, more confident, more decisive, more commanding, and it's something I can use no matter what type of show I'm doing, short form or long form. And that's something that's too often forgotten. Short form and long form are just different applications of the same skills. Or as Gertrude Stein might say, a scene is a scene is a scene. Whether in a loose long form late night set or a short form corporate show, the dynamics of a scene are very similar. It's either successful or it isn't. It's either fun to play and watch or it isn't.